Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's January 17th. Lilio Kalani, the last queen of Hawaii, was overthrown on this day in 1893. Hawaii, as one unified kingdom of islands, was relatively new at this point. Kamehameha I had founded the Kingdom of Hawaii in 1810 after consolidating the islands into one kingdom. Liliuokalani became the queen 81 years after that and was Hawaii's only reigning queen. Her brother had been monarch during a time when the United States was aggressively trying to establish business interests in Hawaii, and in 1875, he had signed a reciprocity treaty that allowed the U.S. to establish a naval base at Pearl Harbor and allowed the free trade of sugar between the U.S. and Hawaii. That agreement was renewed two years later. Even though American influence on Hawaii had been really increasing, he had been trying to bolster the monarchy and to revive some Hawaiian traditions. That threatened the white businessmen and the lawyers who were trying to establish a more American foothold on the island. So these white businessmen and lawyers wrote a new constitution for Hawaii, and they brought an armed militia called the Honolulu League to force the king to sign it at gunpoint. This was understandably nicknamed the Bayonet Constitution. This constitution reduced the power of the Hawaiian monarchy, and it disenfranchised a lot of Hawaiians by requiring property ownership in order to vote. It also allowed Americans to vote because it got rid of the citizenship requirement for that. Lilio Kalani took the throne after her brother's death in 1891, and she started out a lot more loyal to the people of Hawaii than to the U.S. business interests that had become so prominent. She started trying to find a way to overturn the Bayonet Constitution. And then at about the same time, changes to the tariff in the United States made sugar production in Hawaii a lot less profitable. So American sugar growers started planning to have Hawaii annexed to be part of the United States to get back to being more profitable. On January 16, 1893, four boats of U.S. Marines arrived in Hawaii, and the American business interests in Hawaii used these troops to overthrow the Hawaiian monarchy. They went to the palace on the 17th, and they forced the queen to abdicate at gunpoint. Lawyer Sanford Dole, who had been part of the Hawaii Supreme Court since 1886, established a temporary government. It's a common misconception that he was part of Dole Pineapples. That was really his cousin, James Dole. So there were definitely some family connections there. And having Sanford in Hawaii for sure made things easier for James. But Sanford himself was not the person who later became known as the Pineapple King. Sanford Dole claimed that the Hawaiian government was corrupt and that the overthrow of the monarchy was meant to spread democracy. He started to petition the United States to annex Hawaii, and the U.S. minister to Hawaii, John Stevens, backed him up in all of this. Stevens recognized Dole's temporary government and proclaimed that Hawaii was a U.S. protectorate. None of this had been approved by the U.S. State Department at all. But President Benjamin Harrison signed the Treaty of Annexation that was sent to him and then sent that on to the Senate. 
Before the Senate could ratify it, though, Grover Cleveland was elected president, and he ordered an investigation which found that these actions in Hawaii were not proper. Dole, however, refused to restore the crown to the queen. Albert S. Willis, who was minister to Hawaii under Cleveland, offered the crown back to the queen in exchange for her pardoning the people who had overthrown her. She understandably said no. Later, she changed her mind, but she had kind of lost her window of opportunity at that point, and Cleveland sent the matter to Congress. On July 4th, 1894, Sanford Dole declared Hawaii to be a republic and he declared himself to be president. There was no voting about any of this, but the U.S. recognized this republic he created anyway. Although the initial coup was bloodless, after Liliuokalani finally and formally gave up her crown on January 24th of 1895, most of her supporters were arrested or killed. This, of course, is only one piece of Hawaii eventually becoming a state of the United States. And there's more to all of this on the July 12th, 2010 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. And then the episode before that from July 7th of that year provides more of the historical context. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on the show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for a totally different dole. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast where we rip out a page from the history books every day. The day was January 17, 1794. Elizabeth Bennett became the first documented person in the U.S. to successfully give birth to a child by cesarean section, also known as C-section. The origins of the cesarean section aren't completely clear, but it is known to be an old operation. The practice of cutting open the uterus to deliver a baby dates back thousands of years. References to the procedure appear in Hindu, Egyptian, Greek, Roman, and Chinese folklore and mythology, as well as that of other cultures. Some scholars note laws that required abdominal delivery from a dead parent that date back to 3000 BCE. The goal was usually to get the baby when the parent was dying or dead so that the child could be saved or buried separately from the parent. In these early years, the procedure was usually a last resort. The point was not to save the parent's life. The operation was associated with high rates of morbidity and mortality for the birthing parent. There are recorded cases of attempts to save the parent. In the 16th century, a Swiss man named Jakob Neufer helped his wife deliver a baby abdominally after she spent days in labor. The mother lived and reportedly went on to give birth to more children. That said, the story of this delivery was published decades after it supposedly happened, so its authenticity is questionable. The origins of the term cesarean section are also unclear. Julius Caesar has been cited as being born by and named after the cesarean section, but this is likely not true. Caesar's mother survived his birth, and there are no records of parents surviving after surgical delivery during this time. There was also a legend about another Caesar, an ancestor, who was born by C-section, which may have caused some of the confusion. 
Either way, more plausible theories link the name cesarean section to the Latin word caidere, which means to cut. Others suggest that the procedure's name came from the lex cesarea, a Roman law that required the fetus to be removed from the uterus if a pregnant parent died. The term section was used in association with the procedure before French surgeon Jacques Guillemot used it in his 1598 book on midwifery. But the term cesarean operation was more commonly used until usage of cesarean section picked up in the 20th century. Back to the operation itself, physicians began performing C-sections on living people and trying to save the child and the parent in the 16th century. But it was still risky and could cause shock, sepsis, hemorrhage, and other complications that were often fatal. Elizabeth Bennett is cited as the first documented woman in the U.S. to give birth by C-section and survive. She went through a prolonged labor and wanted a C-section, but her doctor refused. So her husband, Jesse Bennett, performed the surgery himself in their home after putting her to sleep with a tincture of opium called laudanum. Better anesthetic and surgical techniques, as well as the introduction of antibiotics and blood transfusions, led to safer C-sections. The procedure became common in the 1940s. Today, it's performed when vaginal delivery is considered too dangerous for the parent or fetus. The surgery still comes with risks, and there's debate over the high rate of C-sections in some countries. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Give us a shout or a share on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. If you prefer something a little bit more formal, then you can write us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. <laughs>